in the 1980s, video stores where you could rent movies on video cassette, take it home and watch it whenever you wanted to, spread all across North America and the world at large. All of a sudden, you could see your favorite Hollywood hits on home video. But Hollywood studios were slow to put their films on home video uh, because they st there was still a thriving repertory cinema business. So the video stores needed something to fill their shelves. And entrepreneurial uh, filmmakers, I guess you could call them video makers, realized they could fill that gap by shooting cheap films on home video, not on home video, but on uh, video. And uh, this whole intro is going off the rails. <laughs> I'm so thrown off because we're not in person. Um, it's that by video. Here's a movie that you never seen. The map of some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles, there'll be tears You won't watch a movie for about 8 billion years It's time for death by video Time for death by video And now the show will begin Hey! Hey, I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham, and welcome back to another episode of Merry Movie Mayhem. We are doing our first ever shot on video film, and that is 1988's Night Feeder. And this is our first toe into shot on video. There were so many shot on, like thousands of shot on video movies that came out in the 80s and 90s. And luckily, Night Feeder uh, is a much more professional than like some of the other shot on video stuff I've seen, where it's like very, like this isn't a Polonia Brothers joint or the dreaded boarding house, which... I'm not going to subject us to that. Um, that was a movie that I rented and couldn't get through um, in three decades, like in the 80s, 2000s, and the 2010s. And then I just, sorry, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and I just gave up. Uh, so we're focusing on Night Feeder, which we all it's, watched. It's strange that this is our first shot on video, considering the uh, the title of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I mean, that comes down to me not being a huge fan of a lot of shot on video films and i think that's understandable but the weird thing is like shot on video stuff now has really come into vogue in the um online hip movie circles i guess you could say um bleeding skull just released their uh or not just released but like a year ago released their no two years ago now released their follow-up book to um bleeding skull a horror trash odyssey with their second book bleeding skull a 1990s horror trash odyssey, which focused almost entirely on straight to video and shot on video films. Um, some of which are just a slog to get through. Um, people are still making shot on video films now, even though technically all films are shot on, or most films are shot on video now, but some people are still trying to hold on to that. Like we'll shoot it at 30 frames per second with really low budgets in our backyard. Um, and I've seen some of them and I'm not a, not a huge fan of them to be honest. But uh, I did enjoy this film, Night Feeder. Um, I haven't heard Kit's take on it. I read Phil's letterbox entry. So I kind of know what your feelings are towards it. What, Let, what I will say is that it, uh, it does look cheap a lot. But however, uh, some of the, the gore and, and practical effects are, are actually pretty decent. Yeah. And also, the, I, I found the acting was quite good. I think we're stretching it there. <laughs> the acting was quite good for a shot on video film. Like you guys have never seen some stuff that I've shut off. Like you never watched Science Crazed, which I don't understand the hype around Science Crazed. Like that was a, ooh, I'm excited to watch this, and then like ten minutes in, I'm quickly like, this is murder. Like I can't do this. Um, this film I had no problem sitting through for all of its 93 minute runtime. But um, let's kick it off. So guys, where do we start with Night Feeder? Well, we start with a corpse, obviously. Yes, the first victim of the night feeder. There's a, a dead woman, and a, uh, a, there's a coroner and a detective, and they're looking her over. And the coroner keeps on checking her pulse, which is odd. Um, she's quite dead, yes. Well, you can tell the actress is breathing a little, so it, I, I kind of understood him checking her pulse. But yeah, no, she is quite dead, or at least supposed to be. Yeah, and there's a I'm mysterious... 
And there's a mysterious eye injury, which we will learn more about later on. But, uh, right away, our, our intrepid reporter is on the scene because uh, she conveniently lives in the neighborhood. And that is Kate uh, Jean um, Michelson Jean. is the, is the, or Jean, yeah, is the yeah, reporter. Jean Michelson. Played by Kate Alexander. And Kate Alexander had a short career in acting. Um, she This was her first film, then she did 1989's The Method, then she was in 1989's A Whisper to a Scream, 1990's Chameleons, and then she had a break until 2002 when she portrayed a high school student. Huh. Um, 2002's The New Guy, but she was uncredited, so I'm guessing she might have been doing background or something. Oh, just like as a a blonde head or something like that? You don't. Oh, even see I don't know, face. but the, the, you gotta remember again back before imdb put everyone and like her age isn't listed so it's like actually there was a lawsuit against imdb for because they listed an actress's age and she lost work because of it like back then you could you could pull off some stuff if you like looked like you know maybe you were not an actual teenager but a 29 year old playing a teenager maybe you could have gotten away with it but yeah so and she meets our detective who has the fantastic name of alonzo bernard inspector alonzo bernardo which I just wanted to, I was hoping his name would be like Faco Nemo or something like that, but Alonzo Bernardo, played by uh, Jonathan Zeichner. And he had another short career as well. He was in the 1988 TV movie A Whisper Kills. In 1989, he was in American Boyfriends. He was in an episode of Matlock in 1989 and an episode of Deadly Desire. And he was in the original 1992 TV movie Red Shoe Diaries, Ooh. where he played the role of Doctor. Ooh. He does. He looks like a guy that would have appeared in Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah. Or The Hitchhiker. Do you guys remember The Hitchhiker? Oh, yeah. The Hitchhiker, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Um, so right away, our, our heroine is all over this crime scene. Like, what's going on here? I, I have credentials. I live in the neighborhood. And the cop is like, well, clearly it's a, it's a homicide. Um, but what did he say? Like, I advise you move out or something? Or like, why would you move here? Yeah, he has a, he's like, if I lived, uh, if I lived in this neighborhood, I'd take a long vaca vacation. I'd go visit my in-laws and I've been divorced five times. Think about it. Like, all right, I'll think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we cut Five's to... a lot. Hmm? Five's a lot. Although you get the sense uh, when you get to know the character more. I think he's only been married once. I think he was just giving her a line or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we cut right from there to a really great party scene, which I, I dug, featuring the band Disease, uh, which is actually a real-life band called The Nuns performing as Disease. Yeah, that's some party that Gene throws. That is a, that's a wild one. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of uh, the opening party scene from Babylon. Yeah, it bit. really did. Actually, I expected to half expected an elephant to start uh, barging through. Yeah. Spoiler alert for Babylon. Go, go see Babylon, people. It's great. All right. Uh, so, yeah, like my note is great vibes at the party. Um, the funny, the interesting thing is that the the disease, the band disease in this band, in this movie, um, are clearly a new wave band. But this is 1988. This is like peak hair metal. So like I'm just like it's kind of like a little a little sad because I'm just like oh they're a new wave band in a hair metal world. They've got a great song that uh, doesn't get played till later called "Suicide Child." Yeah, isn't like I don't know if you guys were vibing like, with that or not. Your wrists or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down some of the lyrics. They're great. Oh well, I can't wait till we get. There. I watched them with captions, so. Uh... Oh, you didn't. You need to hear the full onslaught. It's like you stole my junk, you little punk. Of course, there's lots of rhyming it. couplets in this yeah. song, and then down, down, down. They say down a lot. Great tracks. Like I want the soundtrack. Um, <laughs> and so at this party, we meet Brian, who is sort of the love interest of Jean, but uh, they they don't have an agreement. They're just kind of like. And later on, she calls him a plaything, um, but really, she feels more for him than than that. And uh, basically, we wake up the next morning. Jean uh, and Brian wake up, and it's like, oh, I guess the party's over. They go into the bathroom, and uh, that's where they find Jean's friend dead in the bathtub with a similar eye injury to the, the victim we saw on the street. And so this is where now Inspector Bernardo comes in and in interviews uh, Jean and Brian. And we learn that Brian's band, Disease, spelled D-Z-E. 
S. Sorry, it's hard for me to say that, Americans. No, actually, the the drug is uh, is called DZS. Mm-hmm. Although, like in the credits, they say disease, like the word disease uh, for the band. So I don't know what it is. Maybe it's both. Yeah, yeah. Well, the um, was it the 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 inspector compares the name of the band disease to like saying disease is just a band is like saying Hitler was just a politician. It's like whoa, Seems too far. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you got you just you just jumped like across the ocean there, pal. But we learned that several um, female fans of the band disease died mysteriously while partying with the band while taking the experimental drug DZS, also known as disease. Yeah, and Inspector Bernardo has a, has a line early on where he's like, kids these days think that ODing on experimental drugs is mankind's highest achievement. I, I'm not sure what he's going on about there, but... It was the 80s. <laughs> There's a lot He's of... trying to say that um, the ODs just uh, led to the band's success, like... Uh... Well, it built it built up their mythology, made them yeah, more yeah. hip, more dangerous, more edgy, more cool. There's nothing dangerous or edgy about this band. I no, like they're them. They're very new wave. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're very new wave. Yeah, they might convince you to do some lewds and wear pastel, even though they're all in black leather. In the, throughout yeah, the it's band. like a poor man's Robert Smith as their lead singer. Yeah, that is true. Um, so where do we go from there? Is this when Jean goes out and try like just starts interviewing random people she finds on the street, including uh French? Is it French Gary? French Gary, the uh, the fort the forklift driver. Oh yeah, he did. He, he is, is French. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, whole bunch because like and then at the later on when there's the town hall meeting, John Lennon himself pops up. <laughs> What's he Sean doing Lennon, to defend the children? Um. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. George, sorry, George, the forklift driver. He's just casual, but he's like, "Oh yeah, I know about that dead girl in your in your tub." Even even he's like, "So how did it feel to find a dead woman in your bathtub?" I guess that was pretty wild. <laughs> and she's like, "How did you know?" Oh, it's a tight neighborhood. It's a very weird neighborhood because that seems very where they are right then is very suburban. Where she is is very industrial and lofty. Lot like it's, she's in a, living in an industrial loft. None of it looks good. I was actually surprised to find out that we were in San Francisco the whole time, like halfway through the movie. They show the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm like, I did yeah. not realize this was San Francisco. Yeah, it's because the version of San Francisco that we have is like mostly either from Full House mm-hmm. or The Room or some hippie nonsense of Hate Ashbury. Various detective novels. Pretty much every detective uh, story from the 20th century is set in San Francisco for some reason. Really? Also, the nuns are a San Francisco Bay Area punk band. Yeah, I didn't really look them up. Did you yeah. look them up, Phil? I, I just know of them. I don't know any. I didn't look up any additional info about them, but I just know of them as a Bay Area punk band. Of the, uh, They're big enough to be Tennessee. somewhat known. Uh, this is when she also encounters. There was a girl at the party who she then encounters again, pushing a stroller and asks, like, oh, can I get your opinion? as a um as a woman in the neighborhood and as a mother about these murders and she very blandly says like oh they're terrible yes kit <laughs> yeah i think this woman's name is victoria and yeah she says uh it's a disgrace and you can quote me on that she's like okay yeah yeah all right great coming out hard against murders and then in the background this is our first instance of the creeper who is a who is a, a homeless person who I think later on is revealed that he's like a, a Vietnam vet who was burned overseas or something with Agent Orange. Yeah. Um, he is like seen like bent over looking into a garbage can and she goes over to try and interview him, but he runs away. Then she goes to interview another woman in like a small parking lot and that woman runs away. And that's basically the end of her like on the street beat trying to like track down like uh, thoughts about what's going on. Uh, Fear is gripping the community. Oh yeah, definitely. And they're, I'm not sure what neighborhood it's supposed to be in in San Francisco, but it's, it's definitely uh, fear is gripping the community. Um, yeah, the, the sorry, uh, the the creeper literally uh, he crawls in and out from under a building like this is he scuttles like a cockroach underneath this building. Yeah, yeah. Is this where we meet the construction workers? Uh, it's around that time. Yeah, she's still doing the interviews. I think she is interviewing uh, Victoria at this point. She runs. Yeah, she runs into Victoria again just outside this not really a construction site. And these three construction guys. Oh, they're pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 catcalling and doing all kinds of stuff. But the funny thing to me was like, they were all standing wrong. Like one guy was standing in the back of a pickup truck wearing a hard hat. Another guy was standing 
at the top, like midway up a ladder that went nowhere. It's just sort of like, hey, we need some construction guys just hanging around catcalling. Yeah. And they do. And then they're all like, hey, hey, honey, why don't you come over here? I'll show you what indoor plumbing looks like. All these kind of weird cat calls that don't make much sense. Don't you see how big my shoes are? (laughs) (laughs) Wink, wink. Also, uh, one of them, like, I guess the foreman, there's only three of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because one of the guys, he's like, hey, boss, what's up with the hole in the roof there? I almost fell through it. They talk with, like, Brooklyn accents for some reason. Um, And he's like, oh, I'm going to come back at night and fix the hole in the roof. What are you doing that at night for? It seems like a bad time for it. But yeah. Um, and then the, and then the uh, the creep, the creeper shows up again. That's how he's credited, folks. And his that's not us just calling him the creeper. That's his actual credit in the movie. And that's played by Robert Dun, uh, Duncanson. And this was his only film. A lot of people, this was their only film. The director, Jim uh, Whittaker, this was his only film. There were two writers on it, Lanea Du and Shelley Singer, um, which is why I think the film probably has a strong female focus because it was written by two women. Uh, but the creeper, everyone, here's the thing I noticed. Everyone in the movie calls him Frankenstein, but he's way more Quasimodo. Like he's not really Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster. And he doesn't walk around with his arms outstretched, like upright. He is uh, hunched over, like hiding from the world like Quasimodo because he's afraid, like afraid of people seeing his own ugly visage. I guess uh, throwing out Quasimodo references wouldn't be working class enough for that. No. For that neighborhood. Hey, it's like hey. Quasimodo over here. Go ring a bell. <laughs> yeah. We're all Victor Hugo heads. Yeah. Where do we go from there, guys? Uh, where do we go from there? Oh, um, Gene's ex-husband shows up. And this, this guy is a funny guy. His name's David. Yeah, he has. And he, uh, sorry. He, he has, shows up. He knocks on the door. And then he's got he's got a pocket toothbrush he keeps in a baggie. I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. He quickly brushes his teeth. So, you know, he's getting ready. Because he wants to be fresh. Then he just um, puts the toothbrush back in the baggie and back into his pocket. He just walks around like that, I guess. Yeah, I wrote down that uh, that David has strong Stephen Harper vibes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Harper, of course, the ex-Prime Minister of Canada, a.k.a. the worst Prime Minister in over 100 years. Um, but He's yeah, they have this... Hmm? He's a lawyer, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he, he compares... What is it like? He compares... Uh, he got really into running. Yeah, he compares Gene's like journal because the whole reason why they split up is that Gene wanted to have a career as a writer, and David just was like, "No woman, like I guess no woman that I'm dating works or something like that." That's his attitude. Um, and so they split up because of that, and that's when Gene went off and met Brian and started like hanging out, um, living in his loft. But they're they're like talking, they're reminiscing, they're drinking some wine, and then he kind of uses his running as a euphemism where it's like, "Yeah, I got really obsessed with running." And now I still run, but I realize it doesn't need to be a competition. I'm not trying to train. I'm just running because I like it. And so that's kind of what I feel like your your work is. So we should get back together. Yeah, David fumbles the bag here big time. Yeah, it's like he basically insults her profession by comparing it to his hobby. And he was right in there. Like they were chilling out together. She's got her legs up on his lap and stuff. Yeah. Brian's big off time. in L.A. Yep. Big time bag fumble, David. Screwed up. So then she kicks him out, and he then dies quickly uh, again by the creeper, or not the creeper, the um, the killer, the night feeder. We and should uh, point out that the uh, the victim's brains have all been removed, uh, right? In all these cases. That's yeah, because that's what Gene overhears the coroner telling the detective. It's like the cavity is empty, and she's mean. She's like, "You mean brain cavity?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "You shouldn't have heard that." <laughs> So, yeah, which leads to a really gnarly scene where the the coroner peels off the um, the face of I think is it David? Or yes. Is it, yeah. So like after yeah. David is dead and the body is found, and they interview Jean and they interview and they talk to about Brian and she's like, oh Brian's out of town. Um, they then they yeah the coroner like in a really gnarly scene like peels the does like a full like gets out the the brain saw the bone saw cuts the top of the head off and then peels down david's face and then oh yes kit well there was actually i was while watching this i was like i wasn't sure but i'm like are they actually using a cadaver because this actually looks pretty gruesome and and uh, gross mm-hmm. well you have to remember that this like the late 80s early 90s was the peak of on-screen practical effects and there were just so many especially in california where this film was shot 
there were so many small time special effects guys or even full on special effects houses that were looking for work. And the one thing about shooting on video, uh, the one thing that I've noticed in a lot of like this period of shot on video stuff where it is professionally shot, it's not some dude in his backyard, is that because they save money by not shooting on film, they were able to put that into other areas like effects, especially like effects for sure. And uh, and like that definitely paid off. Like it's definitely not the only film or shot on video film that I've seen where the effects are incredibly strong. But it helps that it was like shot in California where you have access to a lot of special effects guys because it's like LA to San Francisco is only about six hours. So you can definitely like hire, drive down for a weekend, meet a special effects guy, tell him what you want, and then uh, have them whip it up and then bring it up to uh, San Francisco. Or they could go down to LA for the weekend and shoot the the actual corner scene where they, they rip it open. But here's where they expose it, like the brain. It's not the full brain. The brain stem is still there, um, but it's the the cortexes. So it's literally the parts of the brain that that control motor function and feeling are all have been removed. Oh, um, and right before this, actually, I think um, the construction worker, they set up this. Right. He comes back at night and he's, uh, I don't know, he's up on the roof. He's trying to fix something and he encounters mm -hmm. something. So a couple of things just from my, my small stints working construction. You would never wear a leather jacket like that while you're doing work. And he clear like there was clearly like you wouldn't yeah. be working by yourself at you night either. No, you wouldn't wouldn't be working by yourself at night. Also, the like the angle of the ladder was really severe. You'd have a it, headlight lamp on or something. Yeah, and like when he starts using the hammer to just tap around and bang, like he's not really doing anything. I was like, why did he even bring out a hammer? He should have brought out a flashlight to to get a better look at stuff. But anyways, but, um, so the, he he gets one, killed pretty quickly. Yeah, and one detail we get from the uh, from the death is a distinctive slurping sound. Yeah, which we hear again from time to time. Mm -hmm. And is this also the first sound of like? Not sure what you mean. Comes up later on. It sounds a bit like a um, like a, a taser. Oh, I didn't hear it. I didn't catch it. Okay. I was actually uh, at this point of the film. I was uh, working under the impression that Jean was going to be the killer. That she had some sort of. I don't know, split personality. Didn't turn out to be the case, spoiler alert. Oh, so like she falls asleep and then becomes the... So it's like a malignant thing? Yeah, exactly, is what I was thinking. Because she was connected to everybody who's killed and they're kind of setting up uh, Brian the bassist as possibly a red herring. Yeah. Also this uh, this creeper guy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, she's... Because she, the, the construction workers, they were catcalling her and then, then the one guy dies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Although, I don't know. I'm not as big a fan of Malignant as a lot of, lot of other people are. Have you guys seen Malignant? No. I haven't, but I, I know it's a, it's a tumor on the back of her head. Anyways, uh, long story short, um, I love the scene the next day where the guys show up to do construction and they're both sitting outside being like, how are we going to get inside? The door is locked. And then it's like, oh, right. Joel was going to come back at night and check the roof. What if he fell? He totally could have fell. Let's go in through the basement. It's like, Wait, so there was a whole other way in and you were sitting outside being like, oh, I guess we got to wait until boss shows up. Well, I can understand that as a working man. I mean, if uh, if work's not starting right away, just let it ride. Anyway, they find their dead buddy. He's uh, strung up. He's yeah. upside down. Initially, I was going to say like, oh, this must have been an homage to Predator 2, but Predator 2 hadn't come out yet. Oh, Predator 2 was an homage to uh, mm -hmm. Night Feeder. I'm sure it was. Um, from there, where do we go? Uh, oddly enough, we go to a funeral. And you'd think that it might be one of the two people who died most recently, but no, it's uh, Marsha, the woman who was found in the bathtub. That's whose funeral we're at. Yeah. They have the most creepy looking priest mm -hmm. in the world. And then also Marsha's estranged husband shows up in cargo shorts. Yeah, the cargo shorts. <laughs> no, camo shorts. Sorry, he's, he's got yeah, camo and he, well, they were Yeah, they were camo cargo shorts, but he couldn't even get in because he hadn't RSVP'd. So the person was like, I'm sorry, the service is over, but you can attend the burial. And he's like, what, what? No, and I have to go in there. And they, of course, like, knock over the coffin and the corpse gets seen and everyone's like, ah. Also, he berates them strangely. He's like, you were just going to leave her here, weren't you? Like, no, I'm, I'm sure they were going to take the coffin to the, they're not, they're not going to leave the body in the church. Like, even yeah. if they didn't care about her, it's got to go to the Yeah, grave. I can't just stay there. Um, <laughs> he's in grief. Yeah. Anyway, he knocks over the coffin, and then we get to see the, the corpse. Yeah. Um, from there, where, is it now the community meeting, or is it the, the jam sesh 
with no no the jam session the community meeting happens at the same time yeah this they're, brian, they're intercut yeah is this one this is when brian comes back in and she's like oh brian i'm so glad to see you and he's like and goes up to kiss him and he's like oh oh we never had an agreement yeah, immediately which is hilarious because she's been calling him like oh it's, i'm pretty nervous i wish you were here because yeah women keep on dying and there's a woman died in my apartment my ex-husband just got murdered uh really do wish you were around and then the next time uh brian sees her he's like uh so uh we we weren't actually dating right because <laughs> he brought home a groupie um but Named that's the, the actual word that he used was we never had an agreement and i just love that because that's like the most like in a way, it's a very modern line from some of the people I know who are in quote unquote open relationships. Um, it's like, oh, we, we, we never had, had, a, had a formal agreement uh, to, that we were a couple. And then this is when Gene gets to like freak out. Uh, is it to Donna or Jackie? Well, Debbie, Debbie is, the, sorry. is the girlfriend's name. And she's like, oh, yeah, you should tell Debbie all about, uh, you know, the murders that have been happening around here. Yeah, two just happened 200 feet from where you're sitting. And Debbie is, she does take an interest. She's like, you should tell me about these murders. And Brian responds, shut up, Debbie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. That was a funny one. Brian's moment. a winner. He has a he has a ammo belt that he wears as a belt buckle. And then from here, I think now we're at the community meeting. I think so, yeah. Was and the jam session. Interrupt the jam session. Suicide um, so, child. So the interesting thing about, oh, yeah, my note here is Brian is a real jag off. Um, oh, there was also we missed there's a great scene where they use a dot matrix printer. And I like, I want everybody who was born after 1990 to see that because that'll like remind them of how slow dot matrix printers were. Oh, uh, sorry. Go ahead, Phil. Yeah. My, until last year, my job was using a dot matrix printer to print out end of day reports. And, uh, they're still in use take, folks. Yeah, they still are five minutes per page. We did, uh, we missed a small but important uh, detail where, uh, um, sorry, who's the, what's her name? Uh, Jean. Jean calls, um, I guess, some friend. Uh, we saw this guy at the party earlier on, but he works in the coroner's office and she asks him for the inside scoop mm -hmm. about what's been happening because apparently they've been finding this drug residue, DBZ, mm -hmm. or no, D, D, Z, DZ, DZS, DZS drug. They've been finding it in the skulls of these uh, deceased and the brains have been removed. So uh, he's all like, oh, I could lose my job. I can't just give you information. And then she, she's like, come on. And eventually he does, I guess. Yeah. And uh, so she writes a report. And that's what uh, that's what has this community meeting all riled up. Yeah. And this is where John Lennon and uh, I call him that because he's wearing the John Lennon glasses and he talks like John Lennon. Well, he's, he looks more like Sean Lennon, who also wears the John Lennon glasses. So. Yeah. Anyways, um, John Lennon's there and he's complaining that like they're not telling him what's going on. Um, Bernard, Inspector Bernardo is, is like trying to keep everything in their control. There's some weird ginger journalist who is like hassling Gene saying like, oh, you're the one that whipped all this stuff up with your articles. It's yeah, like, he's a real asshole, as Gene calls him. Yeah. And it's like, buddy, you're a journalist, too. <laughs> and the whole time they're cross cutting with uh, with uh, disease, the band playing their song and this is one because i was trying to figure out what does brian play in the band because he's clearly an actor not just a member of the band and he plays at first i thought it was a guitar, but it's not it's just a it's a short keyboard with a guitar strap on it that he kind of mimes playing along with while they're i guess they're i guess they're actually recording because they show somebody behind the board like uh, at the switchboard like twiddling knobs and stuff and then basically the the town hall meeting erupts into chaos uh alonzo and alonzo bernardo and Gene get out of there and they kind of like have a little bit of an argument, but then uh, decide to go and grab some dinner. Yeah. The, the citizenry uh, become convinced that Brian, the bassist is the, is the perpetrator. He should be a chief suspect. They also um, bring up the creeper. They also bring up the creeper. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah. Uh, Lonzo and uh, Gene have like an argument in the hallway, which is kind of funny because, um, you know, she's she's talking about how, um, you know, how she had this fling, you know, because she just wants to be desirable in her 30s. And he's like, you're desirable as hell, by the way. Maybe we could get dinner. And she's like, yes, know. right now. <laughs> and they do. Uh, and yeah, the uh, the suicide child. Uh, I wrote I wrote down some of the lyrics here. Is All right, that... do you want to recite them for us, Kit? 
Yeah, I'll just uh, down, 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 down. They, they say that. I'm not going to try to sing them. Uh, you stole my junk, you little punk. And then I'll slit your wrists, you effing bitch. <laughs> suicide child. Suicide child. It's a banger. Sure. <laughs> well, there are lots of uh, keyboard solos as well. Yeah. That must have sucked for the, for the keyboardist and the nuns to be like, yeah, we're going to, the an actor is going to play your role and he's not even going to play a full-size keyboard. Well, then, so we get to find out that uh, Zach, the uh, leader of the band, I think, because I don't think the lead singer is the leader of the band. I think Zach is the lead guitarist and he's kind of yeah. the uh, catalyst of the group. He's a real jerk. Yeah, I don't think it was Zach. I think that was the guy behind twiddling the knobs like recording. I think he's maybe like a manager because he has DZS tattooed on his chest. Yeah. I think there was another actor. He comes over and he starts hassling Debbie and says, like, hey, have you ever had this drug disease? Um, and the way he like, describes it, too, is, yeah. is like, he's like, it's like total blackness. It's like going to a pitch black realm and then a billion supernovas explode in your mind. And then it all turns to blackness once again. Like, wow, that does not sound like fun. No, not at all. <laughs> again, it's like whenever someone pitches heroin is like being enjoyable. I'm like, that doesn't sound good at all. But anyways, uh, so Debbie leaves and then Brian pursues her. Um, oh, no, he doesn't pursue her yet. He doesn't know she's gone. I think he doesn't she just know leaves. she's gone. He yeah. just goes out to get some air. Jean and Bernardo go back to her place where they make sweet, passionate love. Oh, it's a steamy love scene. Yeah. And then Jean has a nightmare, which bonus points for having a dream sequence, which is pretty whacked out. Not only a dream sequence, but one of those where you think a uh, false wake up kind of dream. Yeah, the dream within a dream. It's a real inspiration for Inception. Mm -hmm. And um, from there. Also, uh, by the way, on their way um, to Gene's place in the car, um, they see these prostitutes randomly. And then right. we catch up with these prostitutes, one of whom is wasted. Her name is Tina. I wrote this down. Good. I'm glad you took notes. Well, and then uh, one of the, uh, I think Tina is the one, she gets killed. Uh, her, her brain sucked out. Yeah, she gets captured by the, by the night feeder. And um, I think this is when we see, th this is when I was sure that Jean wasn't the killer because she's busy making sweet, passionate love to Lonzo. Yeah. And also the killer has a weird appendage. It's not like a, it, I was thinking maybe they use a straw to suck out the brains. No, it's a weird. It's a weird. Appendage, like phallic-like thing kind of cronenbergian yeah very cronenbergian yeah. all right so the nightmare is now over she and then at this point brian is returned gene goes out to talk to him for a bit yes there's a there's a funny bit of dialogue in the in the studio before brian leaves the studio he uh, and i believe it's zach that he's talking to uh i think it's zach. whoever mm -hmm. the uh, jerk was that offered uh, debbie drugs uh, yeah offered offer to the disease mm -hmm. um He's he's chastising this guy. He's like, you give drugs to your girlfriend's baby. And he's like, no, I wouldn't. I don't even like babies. <laughs> it's kind of a funny bit of dialogue. And some foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and so like, the, yeah, so Brian and, and uh, whatchamacallit and meets up with Gene. And this is where he kind of realizes that she was with uh, Bernardo. And he kind of freaks out. I'm like, oh, Mr. We had no agreement like now has a problem with her like stepping out on him typical yeah just like all open relationships uh from my from what i've, I've heard from people who have them um they never end well it's like that joke in the rest of the development where uh when tobias and Lindsay are trying to fix their marriage and Lindsay asks like about open marriages and tobias says like oh they never work it's just people kidding themselves that they can make it work but maybe in our case it will work <laughs> Funny stuff. Um, so Brian runs off looking for Debbie, like screaming, like, Debbie, Debbie. Gene okay. um, kind of goes in pursuit of him. This is where she encounters the creeper who has like two knives that are sharpening. And she's like, oh, my God, you're the Debbie, by the way, is just right. in her nightshirt and some really nice uh, like blue suede boots that she's wearing. But that's that's all she's got on. Yeah. The, the fashion in this film is pretty good. I got to say, like early on, she's like doing some aerobics and she is in full on. 80s aerobic, aerobics attire, aerobics attire. I don't know why I said aerobics, but aerobics attire. Aerobics. Um, and so 
now the creeper is chasing her. She runs, she winds up uh, accidentally at Victoria's house where Victoria's baby is crying at the middle of the night. Victoria lets her in. They talk for a bit and, um, and she's like, Oh, I got to Give me your phone. And so she calls uh, Bernardo who's still at her place, tells him like, you gotta come. The creeper is coming. It's a, blah, 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 it's a murder. He's the killer. And Bernardo like gets up and, and she's like, Oh good. The cops are coming. And Victoria's like, the cops are coming here. Like, to my place like this is weird like you're showing up in the middle of the night and she's like oh yeah uh, i'll just wait outside if that's okay and victoria's like yeah okay fine i'll leave the door open in case you need to come back inside so she goes outside and what happens then um well i think uh, lonzo detective lonzo gets there but also they find brian's uh corpse and who should be standing over it but the creeper we did yeah. visit the creeper's lair earlier in the movie i think uh, debbie and lonzo actually not Debbie, Gene. Uh, no, it's it's. Wasn't it later than this when they go? No, because yes, because they go there trying to find him before the mob does. Yes, and this is before they go out on their dinner date. I think. Yeah. A prelude to it. Um, yeah. It's it's nothing. He's not there, and she's like, "How could anyone live like this?" And that's it. Yeah, it's pretty filthy. Um, and then, so yeah, like they spot the the creeper standing over Brian's body, and Brian has an eye out, and so Alonzo says like police stop and the creeper runs off and then alonzo shoots him in the back yeah shoots him dead well that's the cop uh mo yeah he's, he's been trained at the finest academies um and so also gene is pissed at him she's like yelling at him she's like i told you it was the creeper yeah told you right now like and, two and seconds now brian before. the love of my life is dead yeah who you described as a play thing yeah <laughs> um and then i think gene heads back to victoria's place which, and, I mean, if any any uh, viewer at this point should be clocked into the fact that uh, Victoria almost certainly has a monster baby. And, yes, uh, but we, we didn't bring up, but you never actually see the baby. It's just all. screaming. It's behind a blue curtain. Mm-hmm. Uh, suspicious music is going on. You're like, oh, I see what's going on. Yes. Got a real basket case or an it's alive situation going on. And from there, Gene goes back there and then the corner shows up. And talks to Alonzo, and uh, the coroner's like, we got a problem. And Alonzo's like, what? He's like, there are no knife wounds in this guy's head, or any of the victims, for that matter. And Alonzo's like, what does that mean? It's like, well, I kind of think that the creeper, like, interrupted the killer before, and also the brain's still there, so I kind of think the killer interrupted, or sorry, the creeper interrupted the... Um, actual the, killer the actual killer and tried to save brian and alonzo's like oh and then i just shot him and whoopsie yep that's the them's the breaks uh this is where we also learned that like the, the creeper like he has dog tags and he's a severe burn victim so it's like oh he's not a monster he's just misunderstood and you shot him in the back which is what the alonzo's point earlier on was he's like the creeper is probably harmless a lot of those yeah. guys are that's the truth. Like it, it is pointed out that like people who are, are mentally ill are more uh, often the victims of violence than the perpetrator. He does run around with a knife, which uh, you can understand people being nervous about, but it's yeah. probably in self-defense. He's getting half. And also it's just, it's a tool. Like there are, it's weird how like when you get outside of like the city, like a lot of people wear knives or like have knives on them because it's a tool. It's like the it's a handy tool or, to have. Yeah. Especially like a Swiss army knife or a, a Leatherman or something. Um, and so Jean is now back at Victoria's and she's like, can you get the baby to stop crying? Like, that's crazy. And Victoria's like, Hey, like, are the police coming here? And she's like, no, no, they're not. And <laughs> Victoria's acting super suspicious at this point. Yeah, she's like, why don't you just sit down and relax and take a load <laughs> off and calm down. And it's just like, what? And is this the point where we see the, the newspaper that says like DMZ use in mothers result in mutant babies or something like that? Yeah, well, and Vic- bloody handprint. Oh yeah, and Victoria right, yeah. has a flashback. She has a quick flashback where we see her in hospital. We did this was uh, during the autopsy. This was actually a little hint was dropped where oh they uh, that drug the disease yeah they used it on mental patients back in the day. Right, and then now we see her in a mental hospital, or being like uh, rest- like restrained and being administered the drug, and now she goes to kill uh to kit to kill gene well first she's like it's been really nice talking to you gene it's been really swell i'm going to miss you i'm going to miss the conversations that we've had they've had like Mm -hmm. two conversations this entire movie 
Yeah, I have a uh, feeling that Victoria is very isolated. Yes. Isn't there, there's also a joke at the party in like the opening scene where someone talks to Victoria and she gives an answer and the guy's like, well, you're just out of your mind, aren't you? <laughs> um, so yeah, so in the struggle, Jean manages she's kind to... Kind of a... She's got a Patricia Arquette vibe a little bit, you know? That's who I was thinking yeah. of. I couldn't put my finger on it. So yeah, so... Victoria tries to kill Jean. Jean fights her off, and in the struggle, Victoria dies. And this is when the baby finally emerges, and it is a heinous little monster. <laughs> I laughed out loud. This yeah. is my favorite part of the movie. It's got that weird appendage that comes out of its mouth. It's, it's a got, it's a hell of a looking baby, yeah. Yeah, it's got like a neck that elongates. Its face is all messed up. It's got a tail. It's got these weird all blue eyes. Like it's not just like blue yeah. blue uh, pupils. It's like all blue. The the baby has the face of a seventy year old man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then and it, yeah. yeah, it crawls towards Jean and she's screaming, and it's like, just kick the baby in the head or something. I it's a baby. Mm-hmm. Just uh, oh, the, oh I'll, we for, I forgot to bring up that um Victoria uses a an electrical like a, a taser. Um, yes. to like scare to try and subdue Jean. And we and like we actually heard that sound earlier during some of the attacks by the baby. So it clearly meant that Victoria was working to get her baby um, brains to eat, I guess. Yeah, she subdues the person, and then the baby eats the brains with its weird tongue. Mm -hmm. And so the baby corners Jean, advances on her, credits. (laughs) It's like, just kick the baby in the head. It obviously, it needed its mother's help before. Like, it's not going to wrestle you to the ground. Mm -hmm. But I have a feeling that the filmmakers wanted to leave the audience on a very... Yeah, yeah, easy note uh, uh, like you know stay scared and that was night feeder yay yay all right guys so phil what are your <laughs> final thoughts on night feeder uh yeah so uh shot on video movies are not for me apparently if this is the easiest one to watch but yeah. you know what the last 10 minutes were pretty fun so that kind of redeemed it a bit Oh yeah, but I did like the practical effects. Cool, but otherwise it was quite the slog. When it's not the kind of movie that it's, kind of, it's the kind of movie that should be a lot of fun to watch, and it wasn't. And that is the problem with a lot of shot on video films. I wonder if it's just the fact that it's the, a different format. It looks different. It feels different. You edit it differently because, like back yeah. in this days, you would edit on film, and like you really didn't have that much wiggle room when it came to lighting or sound. So it's like, it, there is a different feel. And like, everyone kind of says like you have to get into the vibe of them, which I've been fighting hard, not <laughs> getting into the vibe of them. Um, but yeah. Kit, what's your final thoughts on Night Feeder? Well, yeah, it does look, um, it looks, it's like a very drab looking movie Yeah, for the most part. And, and most of the shots, like it's not very, it, it, it almost falls like a very film like oh here's the two shot here's the wide here's the close up you know they're very precise with their shooting but nothing's interesting there's no interesting shots um i don't know i wasn't a huge fan but um i really did enjoy the baby um it definitely kicks it up a notch for me um i'm kind of like a like who is going to guess that victoria and her baby was the killer i mean they just kind of pull that out of nowhere in the last 10 minutes like oh it's this woman yeah, I appreciate that, though, because it's like she is always around and she is connected. She was at the party. She saw the creeper. She But you knew it couldn't be the creeper. You knew that. That's why I thought it was going to be Gene. And then I thought maybe Lonzo. But no, he's also he's got a good alibi when he's making sweet, sweet love to Gene. Well, my whole thing is that, like, I before would have thought, oh, the creeper can't possibly be because it's such a red herring. But then I watched Don't Open Till Christmas. And in it, there's a character where you're like, he's too much of a red herring. Like his name should have been Red Herring. Um, first name Red, last name Herring. But, and then it just turns out that he is the killer. And you're like, oh, what? Really? Well, sometimes like, you got to do that. You got you to have the red herring be the actual killer. Because mm-hmm. then, you know. Yeah. You switch it up. Because then you don't expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what this movie does. It pulls, a, pulls one out of left field there. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Kit? uh no it's just yeah it's 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 an overall a kind of a drab looking movie it's not very well acted although i did like uh the actress that played jean uh she was the only really competent one also the corner wasn't too bad mm-hmm. he was wacky. um lonzo was not 
he's not a good actor. He's just not very strong. <laughs> um, right. He's kind of got like that cough, meathead vibe. vibe. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was fun enough. Maybe a little long for for what it is, ninety yeah, minutes. Sure. Yeah, could have been seventy five. I think. Yeah, it's they a got it all in there. Movie for sure. A tight eighty. Um, mm-hmm. As for my final thoughts, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, again, it's like also like judging it within like the parameters of other shot on video stuff. Like, I thought the coverage was really good. I thought the 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 camera and the editing was really snappy, which is really good. Like, it wasn't cut on a VCR. It clearly wasn't cut VCR to VCR. It was clearly cut like in an actual like video editing bay, which is like you see. Yes, Kit. I was just gonna. I just wanted to add that the uh, the fight between Victoria and Jean is actually okay. Like she's got a knife, and then uh, Jean grabs an umbrella, and they're fighting knife versus umbrella there for a little bit. Yeah, wasn't wasn't badly choreographed. No, no. I I like. I mean, I do think there was real talent behind this, and I kind of have to think like if this was shot on sixteen millimeter film, it would probably crack. It would probably like be all that much better like i think i think it would definitely like bring it up i think it's definitely limited by the actual format that it was shot in yes kit well so what is uh like was just a regional kind of thing it would have been released in local video stores around like no um so like shot on video stuff actually got released far and wide especially because what you would do is you would slap on a cover on it and most people wouldn't know it's shot on video and so you'd rent it thinking like oh this is a horror movie i must have missed and then you get home and it's like, oh, it's shot on video. And like a lot of people have the same story who are older than us talking about like renting movies from video stores in the 80s and early 90s and getting stuck with something that was shot on video, which they didn't realize. It, it did seem to have like little beats for commercial breaks um, earlier on. And I was wondering if it was shown on TV until we got to the autopsy scene. And I'm like, oh, I don't think. No, I think that was just tra- it was just video transitions because it's like you got to remember as well a lot of TV shows at this point were also shot on video. So it's like the transitions that would have been available to them to, for them to use uh, would have been that. Cause there's like, there's really, there's no crossfades in the film. So it's a lot of like fade out, fade in. So as opposed to using a crossfade, which, which you would do on film, which would be an optical effect, which would be expensive for video. You could easily do a fade out, fade in. Whereas like a crossfade is much more difficult to do on video. So like, it's, it's definitely one of those things where, where I do think that the limitations of the format Heard it, but on this, on the whole, again, I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. I thought the band was fun. I like the fact that they actually, because so many of these films are just so, I don't want to use the term cheap because there are a lot of cheap films, but they're so like, at their, the party wouldn't be, it would be like one guy with a keyboard and like two people on a couch. That would be the party scene. They but had a this, snake at that party. There was a, like a boa constrictor or something. Yeah, like they had a full on, a full house full of people. There was dancing, there was partying, there was a band ripping it up. Um, I do think the cross-cut editing between the lovemaking and, um, not the lovemaking, but the uh, the community meeting and the band rehearsal was quite, was a really nice touch. Like there were lots of good touches throughout this. Like it was a very competently made, professionally made film. It just, unfortunately, I think was hampered by the actual format it was shot in. That being said though, I still recommend it. I think if you're going to watch something like this this is a good one because it's released through srs and those people have burned me so many times there's so many times i'm like oh well just like because they release stuff shot on video on on dvd for like 12 bucks you're like oh 12 bucks all right this movie looks cool okay you bring it home you put it in and it's crap it's just like oh like i've never actually finished a movie that i've i've purchased or rented from srs releasing until this one which was on tubi um, and only two ad breaks in my uh, while I was watching on Tubi, so like not that many. I only had one. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah, so good stuff all around. Um, but yeah, I recommend this film if you're a fan of like weird horror films or just weird cinema in general. Like it's a trip. It's it's also a good snapshot of a time when you had a band like the Nuns playing in a shot on video horror film about a baby with a killer appendage that sucks out people's brains through their eyes. We needed more. I, I wish there was a sequel. They could have done more with this baby. I mean, if we'd known about yeah. the baby from the get-go, you know? Well, it's never too late. Yeah, it's true. Night Feeder 2. The refeeding. I don't know. The refeeding. <laughs> the weaning. You got like yeah. a crossover with the It's Alive franchise. Uh, Night Feeder versus It's Alive, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Night oh, Feeder versus Basket Case. I mean, there's, all, yeah. there's a lot of things. I still got to find. There was a comic book series... New York Ripper versus Maniac. 
which was like they literally the killer from New York Ripper versus the killer from the movie Maniac. And I'm like, oh, the, the quacking killer from New York. Yeah, Ripper. they actually give him like a duck mask to wear. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that was Night Feeder. Um, so we'll be back soon. This was a fun way to start off the year. I hope you oh, enjoyed yeah. our best of 22 episode, which is actually going up tonight as uh, as we're recording this. Nice. Um, yeah, we'll be back. We'll be back sooner than later. Anyways, for Death by Video. I've been Phil. I've been Kit. And I'm Graham saying thank you so much for listening. Keep watching amazing movies. Good night. No more do I see the starlight caress your hair. No more feel the tender kisses we used to share. I close my eyes and clearly my heart remembers A thousand goodbyes could never put out the embers Darling, I love you so And my heart forever Will belong to the memory of the love that we knew before Please come back to my arms belong together come to me let's be sweethearts again then let us part no more If you're looking for more horror outside of the mainstream, look no further than Unsung Horrors, a podcast about underseen horror movies. I'm Lance and I'm Erica. Every other week, we'll cover a horror movie with fewer than 1,000 views on Letterboxd. We'll even give you double feature recommendations to pair with the movies we discuss. From gothic to shot on video, from slashers to comedies, from giallo to J-horror, we'll cover all the subgenres. So join us as we unearth these hidden gems of horror. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Unsung Horrors, available wherever you listen to podcasts. 